This morning's reading starts at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of, or, or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So then men, ought to re- sorry so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful i care very little if i am judged by you or by any human court Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes, and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from any? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want become to become kings, and that without us. How I wish that you really had become kings, so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena, We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Father, we come to you knowing that we need your living water. So come by your word and by your spirit, we pray, to reveal Jesus, to help us understand who we are in him, to help us marvel again 
at what your grace means in our daily lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today's sermon subject is Grace Enables Us to Sleep Soundly. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really had a problem with sleeping soundly. I'm known by my family and friends as being able to drop off in virtually any, virtually any place at any time. Just give me a comfy chair or a pillow and I'm off. I once slept in a toilet in a restaurant midway through a meal. I've slept on the end of the phone with my wife chattering away on the other end. And that didn't finish well for me. I've slept through my stop on the train. And I've slept through a pastoral conversation with a young person who was pouring their heart out to me and Carrie. Fortunately, Carrie was wide awake and carried the conversation. But I know that for some of us here, sleep is a perennial problem. There are times in life where we crave sleep. I'm not going to be talking today about the issues that come from ongoing sleepless nights. From those issues that arise from depress or stress or anxiety or from simply having young children or grandchildren who wake throughout the night. Despite my ability to sleep pretty much anywhere, anywhere, there have been times where I've struggled with sleep. When I was working for a company going through a big board reshuffle, I was left to manage a number of really difficult issues. I had a small child at home, I was working long hours, and regardless of what I did, it felt as though the wheels were coming off. And I have to be honest that at that time, I couldn't sleep. I used to toss and turn, watching the clock make its way past each hour, trying not to disturb my wife and lying waiting for the sun to come up. Does that sound familiar to you at all? My sleeplessness came from the fear of the future, from stress and anxiety about the present, and regret over the past. And with it all, a sense that I was in some way powerless. I'm not going to be talking about this kind of sleeplessness, for which we may need to seek, as I did, medical help. I don't want to oversimplify a complex issue. I'm not even talking about sleeplessness which arises from too much caffeine or too much checking of your email or social media before you go to bed. Here I'm addressing a more fundamental point, which is about how we metaphorically sleep soundly. That is to say, how do we have a clear conscience? What I have to say may help those in those other situations, but I'm not suggesting that this is the fundamental way to get rid of sleeping pills or keep the baby from crying all night. This is about those times when we can't sleep because we begin to compare ourselves with others or the standards that we expect of ourselves. There's a French proverb that says this, there's no pillow as soft as a clear conscience. And it's to this that I want to turn. You see, in our passage, Paul boldly claims, my conscience is clear. So we're left asking ourselves, is that sufficient for him to sleep soundly? We need to follow his argument, but I don't think it is. Grace is what enables him to sleep soundly, 
not a clear conscience. The French proverb is wrong. In our passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is uh, laying too heavy an emphasis on particular leaders. I follow Paul, says some. I follow Cephas, says another. I follow Apollos, says another. And Paul seems to be saying to them, verse 21, you don't belong to leaders, you belong to Christ. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. You can almost imagine in the background the Corinthians saying, well, Paul, you may be our leader, but you don't preach as well as Apollos does. You're not as pastoral as Peter is. We all do it, don't we? We all have our favorites. We have the people that we prefer. That's perfectly natural. But in chapter 4, Paul then turns to his response to those critical voices and to his own inner voice, which sometimes puffs up and sometimes critiques. And he gives three pointers on how our conscience can be cleared. Firstly, chapter 4, verse 1, we're servants who serve under Christ. I'm not a servant, sorry, I am a servant, not a master. And I serve under a wonderful Lord and King. Each of us here are servants of Christ. And the word for servant here in verse 1 is is of an underling. It's a lowly position. As followers of Jesus, he directs my paths. He calls us to action. And so our role is to listen and obey. And the good news is that we're not called to do anything or be anything that we can't be. I'm called to be his, to hear his voice through his word and his spirit and to respond to him in obedience. I can have a clear conscience because ultimately I'm not in control. As someone said the other day, we just need to do our part in this part of Oxford and Jesus will take care of the rest. We're servants of the King of Kings. I think that takes the pressure off. Secondly, also in verse 1 of chapter 4, we've been entrusted with the secret things of God. I've been entrusted with the good news revealed to me. Have you ever wondered why you may follow Jesus and your neighbor does not? Is it because of your education or your understanding or your temperament or your character or your upbringing? Well, they may have a part to play, but fundamentally... It's because God has revealed his mysteries to you. The mystery of Christ crucified and risen and ascended. And you've responded in heartfelt faith and trust. It's something that is revealed. Now I think that's something that allows us to sleep soundly. I don't need to be cleverer, more intelligent, more well-read, even more prayerful, or doing more things to show my love for God. I just need to be faithful to treasure those secret things of God entrusted to me and pass them on to others. Thirdly, it's the Lord who judges. My conscience is clear, says Paul. As Christ's servants, we're accountable to him. He's our Lord and judge and we'll one day give an account to him. Now that's both a comfort and a challenge, isn't it? It's comforting because it enables us to say with Paul, verse 3, that I care little if I'm judged by you or by others. The Lord judges me. 
So judge nothing before the appointed time. We need to be accountable to him for our ministries and our lives. Yes, we need to listen to the criticism of others, particularly where it's delivered by those who love us and want the best for us. But ultimately, we're accountable to Christ. And he is more merciful, more graceful than any judge in any court or committee or synod will ever be. In this passage, it's clear that Paul doesn't care what anyone thinks about him. His identity isn't tied to their verdict or their evaluation of him. He doesn't care what the exit polls say or what the popularity ratings are. And in one sense, there's nothing new in that, is there? Don't we tell our children, don't worry about what others think of you. And if you ever go to a counsellor, then they would probably say something like, it doesn't matter what others think. You set the new agenda. You set the parameters. Just decide what you want to be and then be it. Live your destiny. But Paul's approach is radically different. He doesn't care if he's judged by the Corinthians or by any human court, but he also doesn't care if he's judged by himself. He's saying, I don't care what you think, and I don't care what I think. Verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. He sees that we'll never be able to live up to the standards of others, nor to our own self-imposed standards, unless they're hopelessly low. So our conscience cannot be clear because of hitting those standards. We never will. Instead, Paul gets his sense of identity from a different source, neither from others nor from himself. He describes himself elsewhere as the chief of sinners. This is a man who acknowledges his sin. So his and our conscience rightly reminds us of our sin. But he doesn't let his sin nor his many accomplishments shape his identity. When he rests... He can sleep because he's neither Paul the sinner whose sin is left undealt with, nor is he Paul the great missionary and church planter whose works are going to to make acceptance by God possible. He doesn't let either of these make him feel awful or great. And that's what helps his conscience. You see, our failures and our successes can give us a troubled conscience. It's my performance that impacts my conscience. But Paul points us to the judge who will come at the appointed time, who will bring to light and expose the motives of the heart, but who's already died to take the punishment for those wrong motives and and carries the punishment that we deserve. Who's died so that we might be able to be forgiven and free to live a life where our conscience can be cleared and where we can sleep soundly not just because of what we do or haven't done, but because we know the grace of God and our identity, like Paul's, has changed forever. As people change by God's grace, our actions and our activity are not driven by what our CV might look like. I shouldn't be devastated by the criticism of others. I shouldn't be thinking more or less of myself than I really am. But grace enables us to think of ourselves less and so to sleep soundly. If we're worried about what others think or what we think, 
then we're constantly going to be making our way into the courtroom, awaiting judge, judgment from others or from ourselves. That will be our daily occurrence. The verdict in the courtroom will be driven from our performance. Our actions and our thoughts will provide evidence, either for the prosecution or for the defense. And we'll sometimes find ourselves winning the case and sometimes losing it. And with that, our conscience will be rocked by fear and anxiety and regret. But grace, grace says that the trial is over. The verdict is in. It's the Lord who judges and only his opinion counts. Elsewhere, Paul says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because grace means that Christ's perfect performance is imputed, imparted, given to us as if it were our own. Grace means that we are called children of God, adopted into his family, not condemned, but loved and free. Grace means that he loves us and accepts us. I don't need to change. Uh, I I don't need to do things to clear my conscience. I don't need to build up my CV or make me look good in some way. Grace says I can sleep soundly because my performance comes on the basis of the verdict that has already been passed. I'm forgiven and free. So where can God use me? How can I live for him? Grace enables us to sleep soundly. That's the title of the sermon. And in theory, I get it. I see that if I have my eyes on God's judgment, not on my own or on other, or others, And if I have an understanding of my place as his servant, entrusted with his mysteries, then I can know peace and get great sleep. In theory, I get it. The reality, I have to say, is a bit different. There are nights when I'm restless and I'm concerned for all that's going on. I give things to God, but I still bear the weight of the trials that we go through. We look at our world, our workplace and our families and we wonder if it's really possible to sleep well. That's why I focused more on conscience than on sleep because grace enables us to have a conscience cleared, cleansed because of the verdict passed by Jesus on the cross. But I have a feeling that in this world our sleep may continue to be disturbed In this historic week in which we both look back in remembrance of those who've given their lives that we might know peace and forward to an uncertain world in which presidents and leaders rise and fall, I've come back to Psalm 121 again and again to remind me that there is one who never slumbers nor sleeps. And that's an amazing thing. Listen to these words. I lift up my eyes to the mountains Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. 
The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm, and he will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now that is grace. A grace that keeps our conscience clear and helps us to sleep soundly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts, you know our lives, you know our sleep patterns, and you know that there'll be some of us here this morning who are struggling and have struggled with good night's sleep for long periods of time. We thank you that you are the one who never slumbers nor sleeps. We thank you that you have given us a new identity as those who are of Christ, in Christ. And that new identity is a comfort for us. That our consciences may be cleansed because of the blood of Jesus. And that it would enable us to sleep more soundly. Because we know that we are yours. So Father God, we pray that we would lead different lives. Because of the grace of Jesus in our life. Amen.